good afternoon and good evening. You are listening to the Redraft Podcast and I am your host, Romina Ramos. And as always, I'm joined by my good friend, Will Stevenson. How are you doing, Will? I'm all right. Yes, internet gremlins quashed for now. <laughs> I'm all right, thank you. How for are you? now. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. For once, I'm not that tired today. I feel like yeah. I went to bed really early yesterday and I'm, uh, I'm feeling good. I am. I've, I'm finally in the rest part of my holidays. Like we've done all the events. I've got nothing big upcoming in the immediate future, so I'm just Lovely. resting. And I don't. Yes. I, I'm not comfortable with resting. I don't know how you do it properly. So I'm trying. <laughs> yeah, I know. I always feel restless when I'm resting, mm. <laughs> which mm, is weird, exactly. but it's a funny one. Right. So, have you been up to anything exciting, or have you just been resting? I've genuinely just been resting. I set up the new like sky today, so that was fun. Uh, having to like you know go through all the settings on the TV, and, and that was genuinely the most exertion thing I've done all day. Um, <laughs> apart from I've been reading um, until the coffee gets cold. I think it's called. Um, oh, which is a... ah, you've got it. I don't. I don't know. Is it like a what color is it? It's it's like white and green. Uh, yes. Japanese author. Of yeah, yeah, yeah. Travel. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yes. I, I I haven't read that, but I I either have it or it's on my list because I I always see it in Waterstones and it looks good. Yeah, yeah, it's really nice. I'm about halfway through it at the minute, and I'm gonna try and finish. It's only short. It's one of them where you can finish it a day or two. So, yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's a very lovely, beautiful story so far. So that's been nice. Very nice. Very nice. What about you? I I haven't been anywhere, but I've been I've been doing some work. I I've been working on new material. I haven't written any actual poems, but I've been like mapping out what my new project is going to be, which is exciting. Um, and on the side of that, I have been turning some of my unpublished poems that I don't plan to pu- publish anywhere into like mini zines, digital zines. I've been doing some oh, drawings amazing. to go with them and stuff like that. I'm working on counting sheep at the minute. Um, I don't know if you've heard me perform that. I think I've done that switchblade actually. Yes, um, so I'm working on that one at the minute. So yeah, it's it's exciting. I'm gonna I'm just gonna print a few and sell them at places like Natter and things like that. You know, because uh, why not? Yeah, I love that. That's amazing. What um, if you don't mind me asking, what program are you using? Um, I I'm you do I use Procreate because it's what we yeah. have already. Uh, I think we paid for that like when we started print a poet. Um, and I just use that. I just use like a four template and then break it down into like the eight pages that you'd get in a zine. And then you just design each square. And then once I print that, you just have to like fold it into a zine kind of thing. Amazing. That's really cool. Oh, I'm excited to see these come to life. Yeah, I, I like, I love the idea of zines more and more as I go along because it's like you can mix and match art, you can do some drawings, you can write, you can you can do anything. Like I've been watching loads of videos on zines and what everyone says is you can literally make a zine about anything. <laughs> so I like, I really like the, the freedom that comes with that and the, the, the creative like, um, the creative like process behind it all. So I'm excited to do a few more. Amazing. And on that as well, um, you've led me to i promised them a shout out so by the meter uh magazine uh which is so good have you got one i've not got one i've been waiting for uh payday to arrive but i am 100% gonna get one yeah it's amazing proper glossy front thick 30 or so pages like and it just looks brilliant it's so lovely to read nice focus on blackpool um so it's not all sort of manks and people i know um which yeah. is nice to get away from reading yeah. about your friends which is odd but it is nice to see everyone's alaria's in there lisa's the cover star so lots of previous redraft guests um and they do a little focus on switchblade as well um which was very nice so yeah it, it looks it looks amazing from what i've seen online it looks like a proper magazine and we need more of that about with the arts because you know uh that you don't get many you go into places like wh smith and things and you have magazines about all sorts of things but you don't get much on writing and art and performance and all this stuff so big shout out to rob and nathan um and by the meter because yeah go get yourself one and you know what actually i forgot to mention one thing that i have also been doing but they, it, it gives, it's given me a kickstart to see, by seeing that online. Um, I've actually ordered a, a starter pack and it should be arriving tomorrow. Because um, I think I'm going to launch my own... It's not a magazine, though. It's going to be a newspaper. 
I've got a starter pack coming tomorrow. Kind of like the one you've done with uh, your friend, was it Zoe or someone? Emily, Emily. Um, yeah. Kind of like that. Yeah, it looks like that, but it's all just going to be right, new writing, interviews, things like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's my plan. Um, but I'm going to get the starter pack and see how that goes. But yeah, I'd love to, just something, something, you know. Amazing. I just want to create shit. <laughs> no, of course, that's the best part, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah. Right, I suppose we should uh, get on with introducing this week's guest. Yes, this week I'm so excited that we got to chat to none other than Luke Wright. Uh, I first come across Luke when I was in uni. We covered some of his stuff, uh, some of his poems. Uh, but he's such a fascinating guy, you know. He creates a new show every year, which he takes to Edinburgh. Um, and he's just, yeah, I just found the, the whole chat really fascinating. If you don't know, Luke does things like The Remains of Logan D uh, Dankworth. He's, he's author of, of a few books, four, three or four, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and he's just, he's, he's, I've seen him be called on a newspaper today, a couple of days ago, the poster boy for performance poet, for performance poetry. I don't know how he feels about that, but... Um, yeah, he's, he's a great he's a great performer for sure. He always opens up for um, John Cooper Clark and stuff. So, yeah, I'm sure I'm sure you know who he is. But if you don't, strap in and let's listen. <laughs> there we go. So we are coming to you, sort of semi live from the Edinburgh Fringe with Luke Wright. How are you finding the Fringe, Luke? Uh, I find it quite um, quite good. I'm, I'm mainly enjoying myself. I've been feeling a little blue today, but I don't think that's a that's a fair um, appraisal of how it's been. Um, appraisal is that even a word? Appraisal of how it's been thus far. I've been mostly pretty much enjoying myself. It helps that I've got a show that I really love, and it's wonderfully galvanising and exciting to perform it every day. Just sometimes, you know, you end up spending huge tracts of time on your own, uh, which can be really lovely, and I, I really value that. Um, but I think if that combines with a period of not feeling particularly motivated to to create, mm. which I'm not, because I think a lot of my creative energy is going into my performance, I've kind of, you know, I'm not really doing very much for myself, which should be nice and restful, but sometimes I think you, know, you just feel a little bit homesick and, you know... So it's not by any means a, a, a bad experience, but it, it, it's just quite, it's relentless is what it is. And then some days you just feel a little bit sort of, you know, you're not for six. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's certainly natural, isn't it? Especially when you're surrounded by everybody else being so, um, everyone's promoting their shows and trying to be completely excited and happy and people, people doing it for the first time as well. So it's a place where yeah. I think pos positivity is maybe a little bit uh, dangerous to be around if you're just feeling a bit like, eh, just want to be on my own for a bit. <laughs> yeah yeah well i mean there are some good people um up here you know who who um you know whose company i love and uh, mm. so there's been you know lot, lot, i've had lots of sort of joyful experiences and connections with people i mean I think also <laughs> i was just out, out getting a bit pissed last night so today I'm a bit <laughs> over, so, yeah. there's that as well in there that's all it is really well i want to start off by saying uh, thank you. And I, I don't know if you remember, but um, during lockdown at 10.30 and my girlfriend decided as a gift that she would uh, pester all of my favourite writers, or writers that I'd certainly mentioned to her, to uh, wish me happy birthday on a video. And one of them was for you, from you, sorry. Um, and yeah, I've, al yeah. I've always uh, I've always kind of held that close to my heart. So thanks for that. Um, do you remember? <laughs> Uh, yeah, but um, here on the uh, on the redraft podcast, we always like to uh, get to know uh, our guests and go back to the beginning um, and hear a, bit, a little bit about how you grew up, how you found high school. So I grew up in. Um, so I think first, say is I'm adopted. Um, so I was born um, in Hackney uh, to uh, a mother who. Um, already had two kids on the age of five, who was 21, uh, who didn't know she was pregnant until she went into labour. Um, and so I was part for adoption straight away as a tiny baby. And I ended up actually with my permanent family at five weeks old, um, who were a, a loving and supportive and wonderful. It was a, you know, it was a positive experience. Um, 
and then I we, we lived in Highgate in London. But then we moved out to Essex when I was about sort of three. So I grew up in Essex, um, and I went to an all boys school for my high school, which I hated. Um, and it gave me a lifelong hatred of toxic masculinity. I guess we'd call it now. But back then, I just you know it was it was all associated with football. And I know lots lots of nice people like football and stuff, and so I don't want to beat up on football. But for me, it was like you know you you were you were a football lad, you know, or, or you weren't, and I, I wasn't really. Although I have encyclopedic knowledge of. Uh, <laughs> 90s premiership football because you know one has to fit in and I've got a good memory so <laughs> I can recite you whole whole team sheets from uh, 1994 Blackburn Rovers or something like that um and uh yeah I was always creative and I was always, I was in, always encouraged to be creative by by my parents particularly my mother um you know when I was a tiny kid tiny you know I'd dictate like stories to to my parents and they'd write them down and we'd do drawings and stuff like, you know, really, I was really young. And they really encouraged that in me and I think made it seem like it was something that I could do, which I think was a, a beautiful gift, really. Um, and I, I don't think we were a particularly like, cultured household. Um, you know, my mum reads, but she doesn't read what we'd call, you know, she, she reads, you know, I'm going to say trashy books. She, like <laughs> she fast fiction. You know, she, yeah, yeah, like, you know, she'll, she'll, or, or like, you know, like, like um, yeah, she doesn't really read, like, oh, I always like buy her, like, you know, some sort of, you know, book or <laughs> novel, and she'll go, oh, I don't, <laughs> I don't like this sort of thing. I want to, you know, she wants to read quickly. Um, she's from a generation where, you know, reading was, was, was pure leisure, she's not doing it to, you know, better or something like that. Um, but, yeah, and my parents introduced me to Monty Python. Like, my mum, my dad liked Monty Python. My mum bought me a Monty Python tape. And I think that was my first exploration when I was about sort of 13, 12, into that and Adrian Mole. I read Adrian Mole. And they were, like, the beginnings of, they were, like, the very foundations of, I guess, what would become my obsession as a writer. Uh, it was... um humour but also um you know Adrian Mole's a state of the nation novel so it's about it's about what it is to be British really I think um that's and it's satirical and so there, there was there was this it's the third the third mention of Adrian Mole on the podcast that's you that's uh, Adam Farrow who wrote Cold Fish Soup and, really? uh, the comedian the comedian Adam Evans of the Crisp Review all three of you now have referenced Adrian Mole and I, I'm just fascinated by like like you say that really dry yeah. British sort of wry humour that actually does find its way into all of your work as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I can still, there, there are still, I think about Adrian Mole literally at least once a month, <laughs> maybe more regularly. There, there, something will happen and a line from Adrian Mole will pop into my head. It's, it's in the very bedrock of, of, of my cultural life. Um, you know, first day of spring and the council have cut down all the acorn trees of Acorn Avenue, you know. Um, stuff like that pops in my head all the time. Um, it was like, so much of my initial understanding of the world came, came from Andrew Mole. Um, and then I got into music when I was about, I mean, I wasn't, I liked music when I was seven. I liked pop music. I liked, I liked stuff like, um, I liked the London boys, um, and, um, Bross and that sort of stuff. Um, when I was like a little kid and then, but I sort of got into it sort of independently, really got into it. Like it became my thing when I was about 13, 14. And I started listening to, uh, I guess, Blur and Oasis and Pulp and Nirvana. I was a really big Nirvana fan alongside all the Britpop stuff as well. And it all sort of like, I discovered it all at the same sort of time. And it was kind of, you know, just as sort of, uh, it was, it was beginning of 1994, no, beginning of 19- well, it was sort of it was sort of when the Blur Oasis chart battle thing was going on. That's why I sort of became aware of it. I think. Um, so I came to Britpop a little bit late, really, because I'm a little bit young for Britpop. I mean, it's kind of like a, it's a Gen Xer thing, really. It's not really a millennial. Thing. I'm I'm, an, I'm a geriatric millennial. I was born in 1982. Um, but yeah, but then but then, but then it was you know particularly uh, the lyrics of Damon Albarn, but also Jarvis Cocker and, and you know and to an extent like people like. Kurt Cobain, like I was, you know, I, used to, I poured over all those lyrics and I borrowed stuff from all of them and I wrote my own songs. I wrote lyrics to songs that didn't, didn't actually exist. They were just sort of lyrics mm. on a page 
and I you know, meticulously labelled them and kept them. And it was like a little hobby of mine for about a year. And I taught myself to play guitar and then start playing songs. And we were in a band. And, and, there, and then I was, I went to a songwriting course run by a guy called Martin Newell. Um, and uh, he introduced me to the, uh, what, what he called beat poetry, but, or pop poetry, but, you know, basically John Cooper Clark um, and his own stuff. Um, and then I went to go see him and John Cooper Clark perform. Uh, culture art center when i was 16 and that was the kind of that was that was the you know the moment when i was just like oh they, they were like the front men of a band <laughs> but, but the, they'd left the band at home because i didn't need them because the words were doing everything um and they were telling jokes in between and they they were rock and rollers and they you know i was like oh that's that's not only is that fucking cool and i love it like i loved it like i never loved anything before but I also was aware that I could do that. I was I was aware that I, I probably couldn't be in a band. I wasn't very musical. I could play a rudimentary rhythm guitar. I probably could have survived. I probably could have, you know, if I'd met some really great music, musicians, you know, I could imagine myself in a sort of, you know, Richie James kind of role, you know, wasn't very good at the instrument, but was writing the lyric, you know, that was possible. And that's one of the things I loved about the Manics, that, 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 that two of them couldn't fucking play. Um, Absolutely. Uh, but they were great, they were assists and they had great ideas and, and that, 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 was, that, was, that was really inspiring. Well, Holy, Holy, Holy Bible is, um, is really poetic, isn't it? I've heard I, I, a lot I, of people I, list, especially that record, as one of their biggest influences when all they, they, they're not musical. Yeah, I mean, Holy Bible, actually, not something I listened to so much as a teenager, but it's actually something I've come back to time and time again. There was a period, probably when I was about 30, very weirdly for a, for a grown-up with, with a child, was that I listened to Holy Bible almost on repeat for about three months. I listened to no other records. I've never been obsessed with a record in the way that I was with that. Uh, it's sort of passed now, but um, I think that's an immense piece of work. But I think back then I was, I was the Mannix was sort of, you know, I, I like the Mannix, but they weren't one of, one of my favourite bands. I mean, I think definitely Blur was my favourite band. Um, uh, and then I had a sort of like, anyway, so then I got into the poetry um, and it all just changed. You know, I was then, within a month I was doing my own sets um, and I was blagging support slots before bands. I, I you know I had contacts from, from the music world and Colchester. So, you know, I managed to sort of blag my own before bands. And I knew that's what John Cooper Clark used to do in, in the punk times and stuff. And <laughs> people used to hate it. Like, you know, I was, I was sort of, you know, either ignored or booed <laughs> off stage. Um, but by the time I started going to regular actual poetry nights where people wanted to hear poetry, I was already, yeah. to an extent, a hardened performer because, you know, I'd, I'd been, I had to fight for, you know, yeah, look back on it, I kind of think it's fucking brave for a 16 year old to be going on before bands and being booed at you. Know, some of your, my first gigs, yeah, you know, just no one was listening. I kind of thought I've got to keep on, keep on going so they listen, which is like kind of now I'll be like, oh, if you don't want to hear this, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna leave. But you know, like, I was only doing like one gig every two months or something like that, so I was, you know, I was damned if I was going to get off the stage. Um, I knew that mm. if I could just make them hear what it, year, they think it was good. And essentially, <laughs> I, I, I am still. That's just what Edinburgh is, isn't it? Really? What? Uh, <laughs> what year yeah, are we talking then? Sort of early two yeah. thousands. Is that right? It's late nineties. That was nineteen ninety nine. Still the late nineties, uh, right? Okay. In, into into two thousand. I went to university September two thousand, and um, and then I, I I knew Ross Sutherland by that point because so the first time I saw poetry on stage, Ross was the, the young lad doing a bit of support, and I, I actually to be fair. He was the person who inspired me the most. And I followed him up to UEA. He was two years older than me. And he said, oh, I should come here. And it's good. It's good for creative writing. So I went to UEA, I went to Norwich. Um, and we, and then I, well, I, I forced him to, to join, to, to make R16 with me, which is a, well, initially it was a, a club that we had and we were the resident poets of the club. And then we, so over time we morphed into being a collective called R16. So, um, Yeah. Um, and that was the beginning of things properly, I guess. And then I entered poetry slams and then like after maybe a year doing stuff in Norwich, we know I like, went to Glastonbury and did stuff there and took a show up to the Edinburgh Fringe in 2002. And then all of a sudden it felt like, ah, oh, this is something we could actually do. You know, this is, this, you know, but even then it wasn't until like, maybe like I was now in London, I went to London thinking I'm going to, you know, I'm going to try and make it as a poet, but I didn't really understand how it worked. I mean, my, my role models were, John Cooper Clark, Mary Lachlan Young, um, John Hegley, and all of them have had some degree of success with music. You know, I, I, I didn't think it was possible. Like, I mean, even to the stockbroker, I guess, well, maybe less so to it, but he was all involved with punk and 
you know, I thought, where's this thing that, you know, all these people had sort of like got very big very quickly. They'd be on the front cover of the NME. Larry Larkin Young had signed a million pound record contract. And then all the sort of hype died away, but they had a, they had a profile. And I hadn't seen anyone my age, or my well, there was no one from my generation. There, there wasn't. There was me, there was, me, there was a, like the R16 guys, there was Jenny Lindsay in Scotland. Yeah. Um, uh, there was, um, you know, it was like three more years before I met Inouye Elements, for example, who was a bit younger than me. It was the first time I met someone younger than me doing poetry on the scene. It, it was, there was not the youth around like there is today. That, that's one of the ways yeah. it's really massively changed is we were quite, we were very unique in, in, the, in the fact that we were, that we were young, that we were university students doing it. Well, that's what I was, I was getting at with the 2000s because I think you were, the generation just slightly before it really went massive with Scroobius yeah. Pip and Polar Bear and K Tempest and people like this. Yeah. How, did you have yeah, experience? Yeah, I, was a, of, I was around before those guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, remember, I remember those guys sort of coming K-Tempest through. K Tempest yeah. I saw in 2006 and Polar mm. Bear maybe about the same sort of time. Um, Scroobius Pip was like 2007, but he then exploded very, very quickly. Mm. I, I think I've. I came into poetry a lot, a lot later. So I'm, I'm been listening to you two guys talk about all these writers, um, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not too familiar. At K Tempest, I, I love, and I got to know their work when I was studying at uni a couple of years ago, and it just blows me away. Um, but yeah, I was just listening, and I, I wasn't about to, if you was. Yeah, well, one, one of the inter- one of the interesting things that happened around that sort of time. Well, I just think about K Tempest. It's like mm. one of the Big difference. So back in the sort of like, I guess the late nineties, early early very early two thousands, we'd go from town to town. There'd be a poetry night in Bristol or one in Brighton or you know, and you go down and do it. And every town you went to, every city you went to, had their own sort of style. And generally, what would happen is there was one person who was a bit better than everybody else, and everyone sort of looked up to them a little bit. And there was that, that they sort of moulded that style. There was a voice. There was a Bristol voice, there was a Brighton voice, there was a Manchester voice, there was a Norwich style, you know, we had, you know, the R16 style was that, you know. And then what, you know, then later on, as you fast forward to like 2010, everyone sounds like K-Tempest, because by then we've got YouTube and this viral videos. And I think, I think, I think that's what it is, there's loads of people out there, but they just need to be able to see, you know, everyone needs to be shown the way, basically. And then I think, what well, I think you, I think YouTube more than anything else is, is, is what has enabled spoken word to flourish because you know youtube is you know spoken word is ideally suited to youtube and this is someone who's never gone viral or anything like that <laughs> but you know so people have you know um but then but then you know yeah and it's and it was amazing to see like a like a young you know a 16 year old geordie lass like you know like clutching her stomach and doing the kate temp kate thing you know but in a way it was it, it was it there's always that you know there was there was something quite romantic about being able to go from town to town and seeing how, the, how, how these little scenes had developed in their own little pockets and in isolation like that. Uh, but I think I think I think Kay was probably the first. Oh, well, Scrooby's Pip was probably the first person to to go sort of big from, from my generation, and then Kay Tempest not long after, and then Holly McNish after that. I just just on what you said there, I have to agree because I um, I I was a chef for ten years, and then after that, that's when I decided that I was like going to writing and I've always written obviously but take it seriously and learn the craft and stuff and but never thought about performance like it was just I was studying it so it was all page poetry and and stuff like this but it was YouTube that helped me I found YouTube I found a channel called Button Poetry and it was all like it was all slams and all over in America mainly there was all slams and American poets you know performing and it really opened up a whole new world to me and that's that inspired me to go to my first open mic and read my own stuff out and and, mm. and stuff like that. So it's, uh, I think I'm of that age, even though I am, I am, you know, a bit older than that. But I think because I came into it so late, I am of this age where I've been influenced by, by yeah. online poetry a lot. Yeah, I mean it's great, isn't it? Because you know, you can all of a sudden, you know, we know we you can hear a poet from New Zealand read their stuff and be you know aware of their, you know, it was, it, it, but there was this sort of. I remember the, some of the poets from Canada coming over in sort of 2004, 2005. That's very exciting. Again, that was, yeah, that would have been, because YouTube's like 2005. And no one's really using it till maybe like 2006, 2007, really, um, successfully. So, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was kind of a watershed moment, really. But I don't think we realised it was happening when it was happening, really. Like, I think it was just something that like, it's easy to see in retrospect. I wanted to talk about um, a couple of things about publications, about shows, but 
firstly, I'm a teacher um, by by day and poet by <laughs> night. Um, I want to talk to you about education because weirdly, um, I taught Ron's knockoff shop last year uh, in Bolton, which was fun. Oh, that's <laughs> nice. In Bolton as well, yeah, great. So they, they, they enjoyed it. I, I think it took a moment to wrap their heads, so you had to play it a couple of times and stuff, but I just wanted to tell you yeah. that they enjoyed it. But oh, more... Good. More excitingly, for me, this was when I was talking to Ramina about um, booking you. I was like, oh, my God, he did the Unseen Poem, which for me is like one of the most exciting yeah, things, well, you know, possible. Uh, oh, yes. Well, well, this year in May, yeah. MGCC. Well, I mean, I, I'm st- I, I, I didn't know they were going to do that. Um, the first I heard of it is that look, I, I had kids um, on the internet saying, you're yeah. my GCSE papers. Wow. Like, no, not me. <laughs> Yeah, that... um, but they're supposed to ask and they're supposed to pay you. So no. Well, that's what I'd imagined. Are. Yeah, because it's so a, it's my a publisher isn't it? is, is, is is yeah is, is, is chasing them on that. I, I, I mean, to be honest, if they'd asked and didn't pay me, I would have said, yeah, I mean, it's, it's great. But I think, mm. but they should write rightly and properly that, that they should pay you. But, you know, writers should get paid for their work. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm you know I'm fortunate in so much as that I don't my um, publication is not my main mm. uh, income stream. You know, I made my money from performance primarily. Um, but that was a very cool moment. That was very cool, uh, especially since it was paired with Vernon Scannell. So it was a poem of mine, because people who listening at home, um, it was a poem of mine called Swim with Aidan, aged four, which is a poem about taking my four-year-old son swimming. And he, it's a sonnet, in fact. And uh, mm. he, um, Aidan has um, autism, and he really struggled with lots of stuff when he was growing up. Um, but he was fearless in the swimming pool, and it was a beautiful, beautiful thing to see and it's about the sort of you know him being amazing swimming pool and then just leaving the swimming pool and then having to like you know kind of losing his powers and going back to the, the mundane world where he has to like get his socks on and stuff and you know there's all these things that he struggles with and um yeah poor little guy so anyway yeah so it's, it was probably right it 10 years ago it's a really old poem he's 14 now yeah and uh, probably hyper embarrassed by that poem <laughs> you know his friends did it um, but um, but they paired it with Vernon Scannell, uh, uh, which nettles, is a, um, yeah. nettles, which is a, you know um, I love Vernon Scannell. I've, I've long been a fan of Vernon Scannell. Amazing guy, a great life. He was a boxer as well as a poet. I quite like that. I, I like it. Um, I haven't, having declared my hatred of toxic masculinity, at the of this podcast, <laughs> I, I am obviously now admitting that I think it's fucking cool that Vernon Scannell used to fight for cash um, and uh, went AWOL. Was, was a deserter, deserted the the, the, the army in. Um, in World War Two, World War One, uh, I would imagine yeah. two. Yeah, two, I, I, I think, didn't. Yeah. I didn't know that about the him. Scanologists will be. Yeah, 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 yeah. He made his money, and eventually he had to go. And he, he was eventually went to prison. He was incarcerated for his. Wow, that make a yeah, film about that. Have you? I don't want to see the Sigri Sassoon film. I want to see the Nettles film. Bernard Scannell <laughs> film. Yeah, yeah. And he's he, right. I like him. He's a man after my own heart. I, I like the poetry. Has a sort. You know, as a sort of. It's a, a muscular kind of mm. quite sort of toughness to it, um, and, and and yeah, nettles is a poem about you know trying, fe- feeling powerless to help your children. I think really, and I yeah. think I think I think there's something of that in swimming with Aiden. You know, at the end, like, you know, I, I, at the end of the poem, I hug him to make things better. But I think it's clear that that's um, you know, it's it's not you know that's not enough on its own. So. No, yeah, that's why I love. But then there's a whole lot of kids on, on TikTok who are cross with me because um, <laughs> they send the phone. They, 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 they go laughing my ass off. Um, well, you know, they don't say that. They, they, they do the you know, LMAA or whatever. Um, this poem doesn't even exist. It's not even on his website. <laughs> <laughs> they were like really cross about it. <laughs> uh, but, but uh, mainly I had really nice comments. People say how much they liked it. But there was, there was one kid, there was one kid on TikTok um, who was just like really. Angry that that the poem didn't exist because <laughs> it wasn't for free on the internet. That's really nice. Yeah, they were trying to yeah. find it and reread it. Oh. Yeah, but I, I think also there was a couple of kids in that thread that was just going, "This is this is a uh, he, he's a shit dad because he's just cr- he only likes his kid when he does kid does good stuff." And I was just like, <laughs> I don't think that's I don't think that's implied in the text that I only like him. He he's only impressed with him when he does good stuff, and he's now when he's not doing good stuff. I think that's what they like, put as their. Uh, Interpretation. Yeah, and I was like, "Fucking more." You know, someone, someone said, I, "I, I wrote the kid died at the end." Is that wrong? That's like, yeah, that's wrong. But I don't know. You know, anyway. But anyway, but it's, it was, it was, it was exciting. I'm always reminded of that bit in Black Adder, back and forth, which is not a great 
Hour of Blackadder, but there's that bit when uh, he meets Blackadder meets Shakespeare, played by Colin Fur. Yeah. And he, he kicks him hard in the shins and says, that's for all the fucking English lessons that get to go to surgery. <laughs> and so I... Uh, <laughs> that springs to mind. Brilliant. Poetry is a form of torture. <laughs> we don't do episode titles, but if we did, poetry is a form of torture might be... Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so I want to talk to you about, obviously, collections. Even though you've said that it's not sort of a large income stream for you, it's mostly shows, talks... No, but it, but it, but it is. Well, not really workshops. No, well, we can come to that. But um, uh, but but the collections, I think, are just as important to me as as the as the shows. You know, artistically, I, I'm you know I'm working towards a collection always, and I look forward to it. I don't seem to ever get one done much before sort of you know four years is up. But I've been writing other things as, you know, as well. So I've done these plays and stuff, which has slowed me down. So yeah, you know, I I really love doing the collections and. I've just put out a little, I've, I've sort of half a collection of pamphlet um, this year, um, and I'm really, I love them. But you know, but but also I'm aware that I don't, that, that I think if you've got gathering an audience in, in the theatre, it, it, it bears thinking about and and bears sort of you know, I think just sort of doing a, a, a book reading. I think we can do, we can give them something extra, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so so I don't sort of just I don't do book tours as such. I I I, I find a way of making it an hour and a themed hour which will you know relate to the book you know so like a lot of stuff in the show is in peak um, yeah anyway so you had a question no no it's it's interesting i think that we've both just come off of our debut collections as well um and you spoke then about um feeling i I can't remember the exact phrase you used but it was something to do with like it, it felt like a you were building up to it um which is yeah. nice because I feel like I'm sort of on the now on the build up again to something new, but I don't know what it is. I don't know whether it's a show. I've not done a, a full a full hour show before. Mm. I don't know if it's another collection. I don't like. How can you tell for yourself? Oh, this is meant to be in a book, or this is meant to be for the next show. Do you know what I mean? How how do you well, define your? Well, I mean, I I, Taylor Swift I, I write part. Well, I write the poems. Um, and then, you know, I make a big look at this and I kind of work out, um, you know, which ones I think should go in the book. And then, yeah, up until now, until recently, I've been, I've been published by Pen in the Margins, but they're not, they're not going to publish any more books. So they've sort of semi-closed down. And so I haven't got a publisher. So actually what, what my current plan is, is I'm going to get together a, a manuscript and then tout it around a few places and see who's interested. I mean, I've had a few offers um, sort of, from smaller presses, which I think could be some good options, but I mean, I, I quite like to see. I like to see what the manuscript feels like first, and see, and, you know, and, and, and just weigh up my options. But, but I also think um, my first three collections have been. Well, so you you can pick a theme out through them. They're not really about any one thing, and I think these current batch of poems I'm writing and then are all about adoption and about my 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 growing up. So. I, it, it's going to be much more of a theme collection. And I kind of think it needs to be in order to get noticed these days. I think people, I think gone are the days where people are just collecting together 40 poems like Philip Larkin did and sort of putting it out. And it, 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 there needs to be a sense that, that it's about something, it's driving towards something because it, it helps with marketing or, or at least it has to half be about something and the other stuff can be a bit more sort of, you know. So that's my plan at the moment, but, I, but I'm not particularly far along with it. I'm going to, do some more writing in the, in the autumn, but um, and a lot of it's about adoption, which is what my current show is primarily about. Um, but um, but yeah, I mean, I just write the poems, and I have a list of all the you know I, I keep a list of all the poems I've written, generally, you know, and I have a new you know you know all the poems at the moment. My current little, little file is called Poems Post Feel Good, which is my last mm. full length collection. Mm. I've got this big list. I've got about sixty poems in there now. But I still don't feel like I, I feel like I'm only halfway, you know, I'm only halfway towards a halfway towards a um, a um, a collection. So yeah. What does what does writing time yeah. look like to you? Do you like, is it quite hectic? Do you write whenever it comes to you, or are you quite regimented? And I yeah, I, I um I I did loads of writing at the beginning of the year. I was, I started this. I just found a good good vein for for, for writing the show, and I wrote the show and. I've been a bit sort of um, well. We moved house, and not long after that, 
which has been a big move. It's a, you know, it's it's a kind of our forever move. My, my, well, I got married last year, and um, you know, and that's there's a lot of work. There's been a lot of work to do, and you know, so I have a, have a bit of a be kind of getting this show ready. I'm quite pleased that the show's launched, and I'll be taking it on tour. And I, I really will. I can get back down to knuckle down to writing. I, I would ideally like to write every morning, um, uh, five days a week. That's what I should be doing, really, unless I'm travelling, in which case I can give myself the time off. I should be, if I'm at home, I should be writing. And that's what I was doing most of last autumn and then into this, in, into, into the beginning of this year. And it felt good. Um, so that's what I want it to be like. But, you know, it varies. And, and generally, you know, sometimes you just run out, of, run out of things to say. And then you just write the same poem over and over again. I'm not sure how useful that is. And so sometimes it's good then to just take a little bit of time and, you know, get some new thoughts in your head because otherwise, you know, you, you're, you're, you're just trying to say the same thing really. Um, yeah. Yeah. I find that, I found that since my pamphlet came out, I find myself just writing the same poem over and over again. I think like mm. stuck in a, in a cycle of like, am I ever going to write anything as good as this pamphlet? But yeah. You will. Oh you know, yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think be... I'm over it now. I'm yeah. over the little, the little yeah. hurdle. <laughs> But yeah, it's... but you need to take some time to find, you know, wh- where you're going next and who you are and what you're, you know, I, I'm a bit, I'm, I'm a bit like that at the moment. I, 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 I need to carry on writing the adoption poems and not sort of let that dry up. But at the same time, I also now need to start thinking, annoyingly, you know, I've just launched, I need to start thinking about what's next year's show. Like what, what's going to be, what am I going to tour next year? What am I going to take to Edinburgh? What am I going to tour? Um, so, um, yeah. That's, <laughs> you know, um, and the two things are probably different because actually I think there's so much more to say about adoption and that was this year's show, so that's going to go into the book. And so all of a sudden I've got to be writing different things. What do I write about for next year? Um, yeah, so it's quite, yeah, it's quite, um, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, Edinburgh's a good place to be for that because um, you've seen all these people's shows and all their ideas and it's quite, you know, it's, it's, it's galvanising, it's exciting to be around that creativity so i'll start thinking about it now you know it's quite nice but thinking go for nice long walks let your, let your thoughts melt away yeah i can imagine being... do you feel a pressure sorry i was just gonna i was just gonna say that i can imagine being surrounded by all that creativity kind of like just you know pulsates through you and makes you mm. makes you you can't help but create yeah, I, I think it's true, um, and I think that it's possible to look sideways and start, you know, being, um, you know, thinking everyone's, well, they all know what they're doing and I don't. But weirdly, it's never, I've never really felt like that in Edinburgh, but I have always found it quite, you know, whilst I'm susceptible to being like that sometimes, you know, oh, I have been much more in the past. Edinburgh, I've always just sort of found it quite exciting. I've just, I've just been full of ideas, really, so... Um, and to, and to ask, answer your question, Will, like, I, I, why, is a, yeah, I do feel the pressure <laughs> because I need to sort of, you know, you know, uh, I, and there's no harm with just going, okay, we're going to throw together a show. It's going to be a mixture of old and new stuff and it's going to be a bit of an ensemble thing and we can tour that around. But I don't really want to do that. I think, I think my audience deserve better and I think, I think I, 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 I should fulfill the challenge of doing something. So, um, the great thing about poetry is people do also want to hear all the old stuff as well. They like they, they want to hear poems that they love. You know, I, I think it's true. If you know, if you went to go watch, you know, you you, you went to go watch a poet, you'd want them to read that. You know, some of your favourite ones as well as get the new stuff. So, I think you can always um, maybe take some experiments for an hour, you know, or forty five minutes, and then the second half you can do like you know, you know, your old favourites, and I'll do Essex Lion or you know, <laughs> one of those poems I've done to death. But poems that people you know they genuinely ask for. So I think you know. It's great. It's great to be able to do that. You're sort of um, often somewhere between. You're somewhere between a comedian. You can never do an old joke. No one wants to hear that. Mm. And a band, do they? Only, they only want to hear the old stuff. So it's a bit of both. Is good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I just wanted to know. I just wanted uh, interesting to know about the writing process for you. How much does it change when you're writing poems and when you're sitting down to write um, the shows? Um. Well, I mean, yeah, so, I mean, a show like the, this current show is, um, you know, it's a show of poems. So wow. uh, you start by writing the poems as and when the ideas come. And then when you, you know, you start to, sit, start to see a shape emerge and then you sort of need to start writing. Second half of the show is all written in order, actually. Day after day, I'd be like, right, one poem, the next poem, next poem. Oh, wow. um, that was really cool, cool to write it like that um, because it was all sort of telling, you know, one story. 
it's got quite a strong narrative to it, this. Um, and then, yeah, so previously when I wrote stuff like Johnny Bevan or Frankie Barr or Logan Dankworth, those, those three sort of first plays I wrote, um, they were just, yeah, I was just, you know, that was my work, you know, and I'd come back to it whenever I had time to write and I'd just slog and try and get them. You know, I look back to my diaries and I've got to write another scene today. I've got to get one more scene done. So I wrote the scenes a bit like poems, really. Um, but yeah, it's about making, it's about clearing space, really. So often Mondays are, all, you know, they're, all, you know, they're a fucking waste because you try to clear all the admin <laughs> off, off your desk and, you know, be able to get on with it. But once you've done that, then generally like, I do like to try and sit down. I work best in the mornings. Um, I'm a morning person. I've got lots of morning energy. At oh, this sort of time, what are we now? Like almost six o'clock. I'm fucking done. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm, ready for my, I'm ready for my bed. <laughs> I'm going to go watch Oppenheimer tonight. And I, I, I suspect I might fall asleep. <laughs> right. It's so, so I'm going on Thursday. Very long. Nine, um, nine o'clock. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, why, it's gonna why have I agreed to do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm in this at seven. So, uh, yeah. Well, no, I'll finish at 10. Right, okay, there you go. Yeah. It's still too much. We're old, we're yeah, old yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we, we are going to start to wrap up shortly. There's a couple more things that I want to talk to you about. First one is that um, you're going on tour this winter, quite an extensive yeah. tour. Yeah, uh, well, that's, that's just part one. So, yeah, autumn. Just part one. We're going to do, yeah. do the longer half, but we'll be in spring next year. And that's, so, yeah, and that's, that's you, you sort of tour like a comedian. Uh, which is that yeah. you go to everywhere, including proper shitholes. <laughs> like, <laughs> like my whole, well, one of my hometown, my home college of Grimsby, right? So I, I just can't yeah, but, picture. But, but I'll say this for you. Grimsby has this great venue now, and Docks Academy's fucking well cool, mate. It's, it's, a, it's one of the nicest places I've played. It's in this really? old warehouse okay. down at the docks, <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, it's a brewery, a little micro, well, they're not so micro anymore, but like small independent brewery called Docks, Docks Beer. Which is good stuff, and they um they've set up, they, they really like comedy and they like music, and so they've set up this venue, uh, which downstairs is like a cafe, and upstairs is like a gig space. Um, wow! And it's so you know it's about three hundred standing, about two hundred seated, um, and they mostly have comedians. I think I'm the only spoken word they've had there, but um, yeah, it was a great gig, and we did. I think we sold about like ninety tickets, which was like you know just good. Good, you know, 90s, 90s, all right. I'll take that. You know, that's good for me. Um, so, um, and it was great. Mm. Um, and I've since been back to Grimsby with John Cooper Clark and done a gig at, um, I can't think what's cool now, some Freemason Hall or something like that, uh, yeah, which wasn't yeah, a great venue yeah. to spoke of work because it was a bit too echoey. So, Docs, Docs is cool. But anyway, I know, I know what you mean. Like, um, you know, people, people like to, uh, you know, Grimsby's one of those sort of like quote unquote crap towns and people like to have a go at it and stuff. But I, I, I really liked the audience at Grimsby, I thought. They were great, and I really like getting off the beaten, beaten, beaten track and going to small places. You know, if you've got a venue that you, and you can get 60 people in, then that's worth my while mm. to come down there. We can do you know, 60 people's great for a poetry gig. Um, so, you know, as long as we can get our 60, you know, then, then, then it's financially viable for me and financially viable for them, and we could have a great time. And it could be like in a little town of 5,000 people, or it could be in Manchester. Or, you know, Liverpool, and I, I don't mind. I'll, I'll go wherever. And I, I really like, you know, going, to, you know, I, I think the artist should come to the community. 100%. Dragging, dragging people into the municipal towns and stuff like yeah. that. So, yeah. And, and as far as the, the comedian thing goes, yeah, I mean, that is very consciously what I did. I came out to Edinburgh. I looked at all the comedians, and they were writing a new show and touring every year. And I thought, well, that's what I should be doing. Mm. You know, and I meet poets, and they go, oh, God, you do, you know, you do write so I think I write the bare fucking minimum of, of, of what I should be doing. I think this is my job. I don't have to do anything else. I don't really, I don't have to do workshops. I did the other day in schools here and there, as and when I'm asked. But that's that. I don't have to do that. So I make my money from performance. And I think if that's the case, then then I don't see why I can't be doing a new hour every year. Um, that's what the comedians do. Um, and uh, and I think it's a good work ethic. And I think it's important not to be too precious about it. Just go, I've got to write a new show. So we're going to get it written and we're going to get it out there. And, 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 you know, and I think, you know, I was talking to a comedian called Elf Lyons about this. And she said there was this experiment done where they got some, some kids to, a group of people to like make ceramic bowls, as many as they possibly could, as quickly as possible. And the other, other group to like just make one and craft it. And at the end of it, 
the most interesting bowls came out of the group that was doing the quantity rather than the quality because you just go, fuck, next one, <laughs> fuck, next one. And actually that really shines with something Martin Newell told me very young. He said, like, he said, I'm, he said I'm the opposite of a perfectionist. I'm like, bash, get it done, move on to the next thing. Bash, get it done, move on to the next thing. And I think there's something very exciting about working like that as an artist. Um, and I think, um, yeah. And, you know, some, you know, the, we go back to Monty Python, the, fir- the first stuff I listened to. That stuff was written to a deadline every week. You know, and it's mm-hmm. it's some of it's strange, and some of it's not very good, uh, and but loads of it is like magic and exciting. And I think it's a good way of of, of making work. And I th- and I think an audience will be excited if you present that, even if there are some you know odd lull here and there. So you know, and I look back at my shows and some of those poems, you go, well, they weren't classics, but you know, they 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 made it all fit. Nah, you know, whatever. I think it's good to keep on making, keep you know, keep on producing it. I love that. 100%. I think I completely agree. You go on. Yeah, I no, I love that. I completely agree. And that actually goes into what I wanted to quickly talk about before I do have to go. Um, and is how, how, how do you edit? Do you, how, what kind of editor are you? Do you edit stuff much or do you write it and, like you say, move on to the next one yeah. and keep on going? Yeah, yeah. No, no, I edit stuff. I mean, that, that's part of the writing process. I mean, I, I think people who don't edit are, are not doing it properly, frankly. I'm sorry. I think you know, that's. I didn't used to edit when I was like 21, 22, uh, because I was scared to edit because I wanted it to be perfect. You know, to, to edit is to admit that you fucked up. This beautiful thing you made isn't perfect. And you want it to be perfect, don't you? I made a thing. Look at my thing. But, you know, you need to be able to go, okay, that thing wasn't very good. So my editing process now is I work an awful lot with a writer called Kate Clanchy, um, uh, who is a, a very dear friend of mine. And a wonderful editor. And it's really good to have. And I've, throughout my career, I've always had people I feel comfortable sending stuff to. And Kate's great. And she's really good at just putting a, a pen through some stuff. Or just rethinking and going, oh, actually, you know, the, the, this should be the opening line of the poem. I, I, I'm not bad at doing a fine, you know, line edit on my poems. I, I, I'm a good line editor. And I'm a good line editor of other people's poetry as well. I think, um, I think, actually, I, think I'm, I feel like I'm really good at that. What I'm not very good at doing is reimagining something. And Kate's very good at just going, no, this poem is backwards. <laughs> you know, it should start here. And then you go, oh, I, hadn't about I, don't, I don't always agree with what she says. And I don't always take on her advice. But, um, yeah, that, that's, that's my starting point. So maybe I'll do a few drafts. Then I'll send to Kate and I'll do a few more. And sometimes I'll send back and forth with her for a bit. Um, uh, and some stuff, you know, so, so there are, there are, you know, like, like, and I saw England, my poem about being attacked by a swan, but also that's sort of kind of about empire. Um, there are, I think, like, there is an, and I saw England 14, uh, which, which is, you know, I've done so many drafts on that. But then quite a lot of other ones have, like, three or four. And there have been little edits in between, but they weren't worth saving as a separate draft, because actually it's so obvious, that change. Like, of course I'm going to change that. I'm not, you know. I think generally you save when, you, when you're doing something a bit sort of heart and mouth that you think you might regret. Yeah, so, yeah. So there's definitely, there's always a number. There's always a number after a poem, yeah. What about your shows that haven't just been, like, a show of poems have you like sort of like workshop them or uh, any like you know perform them around uh, the, the plays yeah, yeah. yeah the plays I mean I mean generally I always work with someone on the show so this this year's show which is a show of poems but I mean as I say you know it needs to have a narrative arc mm. and an emotional arc I work with a guy called Ben Moore who's a theatre maker um uh, a bit older than me kind of he's sort of um I guess he's like that sort of Gen X generation, he's like in his, I guess he must be in his 50s. I think he's a good 10 years older than me. Um, but I like Ben's work for a long time. And he's very different. He's very sweet. Very, um, he kind of like, he's gentle, like John Hegley or Rob Orton or John Osborne. He's one of those sort of, he's very different to me. Well, I think I'm not sweet. I mean, I'm a bit hard-edged and a bit of a cunt. And, um, and I'd be really interested to work with Ben. Um, it was really nice and, and I learned a lot. I mean, I think actually... Uh, the show was kind of the show was really more ready than I expected it to be. So in, in the end, we were just we were honing. Um, but I have when I worked in the plays, I've had directors. So I worked with a guy called Alex Thorpe in the second two, and a guy called Joe Murphy on the first one. Um, so yeah, and they did dramaturgy with me. So like you know, particularly on Logan Dankworth. Actually, Logan Dankworth was I think eleven thousand words long, and we got it down to eight thousand words. We just literally cut out. Line after line after line after line after line, you know that was that was a really brutal edit. But I tell you what, that that, that was so beautifully pared down by the end. 
There's so much stuff that didn't go into it. Almost half the play didn't go into it. And that felt good. That felt like, that, that felt proper. I, I, I thought, I think it should be more like that, generally, you know. I think we need to, we, well, we speak with that phrase, kill your darlings. Yeah. You know, you need to, you need to, the more you kill, the better something gets, you know. You need to be unemotional about this stuff. You want, you want it to be the best it possibly is. Um, yeah, there's not a wasted word in Logan Dankworth. I don't, you know, Logan Dankworth is not the most lovable thing that I wrote. It's quite, you know, it's quite hard and it's quite cold in places and quite sad. And I, so I think people like Johnny, you know, Johnny Bevan was, you can really care about that story. In a way, you can't about Logan. But Logan is a, a better written piece by Miles. It is, you know, there's, you know, it's pared down. It's good quality. It's not quite, the writing's not quite as sharp as I'd like it to be, but given what the original writing was, you know, we edited that down, you know, I think it could have been sharper and whatever I write next will be better. I'm sure you know, that's the great thing. We get better, we learn and, and, and everything we do is better, you know? And, and then as far as those sort of things that people love, that's just luck. It's, you know, you know, sometimes some stories really capture people's imaginations and some don't, but the, you know, we can't really have much control over that really. They're, they're the stories we want to write, but what we do have control over is making it as good as it can be. Absolutely. A hundred percent. We've just done a little two person show of new material and um cool. all of the poems that I did, the ones that people responded to the most were the ones that I thought that were the were the most throwaway. Which is just mm-hmm. really it's really strange to wrap your head around that fact. It's like Yeah. Yeah, but what what about what about that one? And you go, No, yeah, that was all right, but that was the yeah. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. weird. Yeah, I felt the same. Yeah, well make Sorry. Did you have the yeah. same feedback, yeah? I felt the same, but it's funny because you were the only person that mentioned the one that I thought was the one. <laughs> the uh, best one. Everyone else. Uh, that's, why we, that's why we work together. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Sometimes, though, I mean, we're so convinced that the one that we love is the best one, we don't really care what the audience think. I have this thing where, why do some poems become staples of my set? And other poems just remain within a show and never get done again. And actually, I think, or oh, why does some stuff get put into your set and put centre stage? It's always my opinion, really. If I really love something and think, oh, I fucking got something here, then I will just fast forward it to the front of the set. Now, I don't know, because often those ones aren't the funniest ones. You know, it's, only, it's so easy to tell sometimes when something's funny. Other poems just take years to come, to mature. So, you know, like, right, so there's a poem I've got called Judge Crush, right? I wrote it in 2016. I wrote it at the same time as I wrote a poem called One Trip Bishop, and I love One Trip Bishop. It's silly, but it's like it's got real heart to it. And Judge Crush, I thought, was just it's silly. It's a silly poem, right? And I, and I performed them. One Trip Bishop went down, you know, how, how, you, you got, you know, and then Judge Crush was like, it, it didn't go as well. And I thought, well, that's the, that's the way of things. So I was really pushing that agenda. But then I needed, a, I, needed, I needed a fun, silly poem to do in my 2022 show after lockdown. And so I was like, I've got Judge Crush and we're brushing. I was writing nothing funny at that time. I was too depressed. And, you know, um, so I, I put Judge Crush in and I got so good at performing it. Like, it was a poem that I realised that actually, it, you know, it requires a massive performance, like a fucking huge one. Like a, a performance that took me four years to get good at doing, you know. Like, and actually, that poem fucking slays. Like, it's like I, 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 it's a stupid poem. It's not. It's not a very meaningful poem, but it slays in a live set. I can do it a late night cabaret. You know, I know, and it goes way better than yeah, than the one trick bishop, which I know is a bit better poem. Um, so sometimes, oh, and also like something like Spad, which is in my current show. That's a poem I wrote in 2015. I never performed it. I did it once and I didn't do it very well and I got no response. No one laughed at any of it. Wow. And now, like, it absolutely kills. And so actually, I think so much of it is, is, about, is about, A, your confidence in it and B, like, just like, how well-trained you are to really sell it. And actually, some of the, I realise now that actually the more pagey something is or the more complicated it is, the, actually, the more it is a performance poem in a way. Because the real performance poems don't need to be performed at all because they fucking perform themselves. And actually mm. the hardest poems to get right on stage, and you can, I mean, I've done, a, most of my show at the moment is what I'd call page poems, right? They're not, they're not long, um, they're subtle, and actually in order to make them work, they require so much more performance chops from me than, than, than like a big ranty poem that just... That, that just requires you to sort of fucking know it and it, you, know, you know get the timing right and stuff I actually think some stuff requires you know 
And I don't mean more performances and like hamming it up. I just mean being able to fucking control it and slow down and have the confidence to sell those lines. You know, that's harder. It's harder to read those poems than it is to read a big rhymy funny poem. That's, I think you've just blown my mind. That's beautiful. It's like Shakespeare, isn't it? Right? There's a difference between reading it and seeing someone perform the shit out of a Shakespeare thing. Yeah. And you go, ah, right, I see it now. But you would never call that performance poetry in the way that we spit that no. as a der- I mean, derisatory. I poetry. I mean, it is. No, exactly. But without that negative, like, oh, performance poetry kind of association. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I don't like that phrase anyway. I, I don't describe myself as a performance poet. I describe myself as a poet. But I mean, I, I, mm. I do definitely think that actually um, it's, it's the non-performance poems that, that require more in order to make them work and not feel too fragile. Mm. Um, and also they, they require a real lightness of foot to get into them, get out of them. And do you wait for the applause and all that? And I'm learning all this stuff about the show at the moment. The last four poems in my show, which are quite, quietly, well, the three of them are quite devastating, quite sad poems about my adoption. Um, and actually I was, uh, up from that point, everyone's clapping at the end of every, every poem. And with these ones, I don't want them to clap. And so I need to be able to hold that last note of the poem and let it land and then move on to say something so they don't applaud without rushing at the end of it. Mm. And it's, it's taking quite a lot of silent um, diktat for me to sort of make the audience do what I want them to do at that moment. I need them to be quiet, to let it land, but not feel the need to clap. And whereas up until then, the, the accepted thing, for them to do is to clap at the end of a poem. But I want that because earlier on, because the clapping at the end of a poem is also a really useful thing because it, it, um, it dissipates, you know, it, it just it resets. It's like shaking the Etch-a-Sketch. It's not about telling me I'm great or showing me your appreciation. It's about shaking the Etch-a-Sketch so we can start something new. But that- sometimes you want to you, you let, you want to layer drawing upon drawing upon drawing so you let those poems build up and then you have an applause break. That is, I wish we could have longer because I feel like I can feel you getting into your flow of talking about the craft and <laughs> it is beautiful to see because, yeah, I've got lots of inspirational bits and bobs, especially that shout out to Kate as well. I didn't know you knew Kate Clanchy. I absolutely love um, her book. Yeah. Some kids I taught, yeah, yeah, yeah. taught me. If oh, you I love that pass book. along my love for that book because it is beautiful, yeah. I love it. It's really nice to hear people say that, you know, you know like it's really nice to hear people, people say that, you know, because um, she's at a... She had a tough time of it, you know, you know, with, with the sort of stuff on Twitter and people like, you know, um, you know, quite unquote cancelling and all that sort of stuff. But I think Kate is Kate is a, Kate is one of the most um one of the most generous people I've ever met, full stop, certainly in the world of literature. Um she uh, you know, she's edited spent hours editing my work for nothing, for for the love of it, for to help the writer out. Um yeah, I, um, I think she's a very, very special person, um, and I think there's, there's, there are literally, there are literally thousands of people out there who are no longer kids. A lot of them, you know, who can say Kate Clancy helped, helped me tell a story, helped mm. me, helped me find something about myself, and you can't say that about many people in the UK. Yeah, she's very special. I tend to find a lot of this is just on terminally online discourse, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Like. Yeah, well, that's just what I always try and say to Kate and to, and to anyone who goes to this sort of thing. Is that actually, because I live in Bungie, and in Bungie, nobody knows that someone's been supposedly cancelled. They're just like, what? Oh, I know. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, they, you know, like, it's really good to live in the real world uh, and to have friends who aren't in the industry or aren't glued to Twitter or just normal people who, who you know, <laughs> who are like, if a book's good, go, that book was good. <laughs> Um, you know, who don't get sort of sucked into a Twitter storm about something, which is just, I think Twitter is just full of people who I think probably are quite sad and quite lonely. Um, because I think if, you, if you're spending that much time online, you're not having that connection in the rest of your life. Um, and I think, uh, yeah. And I think it's, it's full of people who like to argue. who feel galvanized by argument. I used to be married to someone who, who was galvanized by argument and she's not a bad person, right? But but she has a job where she argues for a living. You know, she she fights, um, and we society needs people like that. But I think also those sort of people 
I, I, I don't want them around me. <laughs> you know? I'm a lo- hey, man, I'm a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> in the words of uh, Paul McCartney in his duet with Michael Jackson. <laughs> we've got just about enough time to okay. start to wrap up, um, which means we've got to ask you the question that we ask every single guest on the Redraft podcast, which is if you could uh, turn back the clock, take back time and, and go and re-edit um, a piece of your career or life, uh, something yeah. that you have uh, been a part of, what would you go back and, and redraft, as it were, re-scribble? Well, this is, what, this is one of my favourite games to play, and it's a game I've played all my adult life. All my, ch- all my teen years as well. I could just go back to... You know, the moment you stop playing that game is when you have kids. Because you, because you, you understand that actually you can't, um, you can't go back, and you know, I think the uh, it's a Richard Curtis film called About Time where he, where, where he realizes that and his kids look different because he's gone back in time. Anyway, but what I would redo is I would redo my second, so the whole year around two thousand seven. I, I, I had some success. My first Edinburgh show went well. Uh, the second year I turned up in Edinburgh, everyone was there to review my show in the first week, and my second show, Poet and Man. By the time it finished its tour at the end of 2008, many months later, it, it really was not a bad show, but it was not a good show. Um, what I decided to do was rather than do a sort of mock PowerPoint presentation thing, which is what I'd done with R16 and what I'd done with my first show, I decided I wanted to be the kind of act I am now, which is someone who talks to the audience and is natural and is, tells anecdotes, anecdotes and stories and blah, blah, and all that stuff. But I wasn't really good at it. Um, and it was a bit of a flabby show. And I had all this opportunity. Like, everyone was listening. Like, everyone was listening. Like, all the reviewers came in the first week. You know, it was like, it was my moment. And I got almost resound. The only time ever, actually, for any of my shows, I've got mostly three-star reviews. Generally, I've done better than that. So it was my worst reviewed show. And it wasn't ready. And I rushed it. So I'd like to, you know, I'd like to redo that. But also, you know, uh, there, were, there was a number of years where I thought about what I wanted to redo that. But... I mean, essentially, I think the thing is, I'm 41. I, I, there's nothing I want to redo, really. You know, yeah. onwards, onwards. Keep on moving forward. Keep on moving forward. It's beautiful, yeah. man. <laughs> thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks. My so pleasure. Much My for pleasure. It's been. Yeah, truly. A real, pleasure. real pleasure to talk to you both. Yeah, yeah. And good luck with whatever it is you're doing next. You know, your your double act if it's going to be a double act or your solo shows if mm. they're going to be solo shows or whatever it is. Then I. Uh, I, uh, I wish you all the best and keep me up to date with what's going on. Thank you so much. Nice one, Luke. Really appreciate it. Have a good one. Enjoy Edinburgh. Yes. <laughs> Enjoy. Uh... <laughs> yeah, Take care. And there we have it. That was uh, Luke Wright. And what a uh, illuminating conversation. Particularly when we were getting into the second half, I felt like he... Um, He'd have a long. He'd had a long day. Just bless him. He literally just come off of a show of his new, um, his, his new, his new piece uh, at Edinburgh, uh, Luke Wright Silver Jubilee, and he'd literally just come off stage about an hour before. So I could feel like he, him becoming more energised as we were talking for longer. And suddenly our time, our time was up. Um, but I felt like we could have talked for for ages and ages and ages. Um, yeah, really yeah, interesting really guy. interesting guy. I love his work ethic. Um, I particularly loved when he was talking about, um, you know, don't be pr- too precious about your work. Just write it, get it out there and write some more stuff. Um, and I think I need to take a leaf out of that book for sure. But yeah, really great conversation. Really great. As soon as we came off of the Zoom call, um, I, as soon as Michaela got in, I said to her, that, that, what, the thing he said about um, performance poetry... It, that what we think of as page poetry is actually performance poetry and it's poetry you actually need to perform because it's really easy to do like a list poem or a rhyming poem that's just like a big performance because it's, it's there it's baked into it but to really perform something that's that's a different kind of thing and you can do that with anything if you, if you put your mind to it I was like wow mind blowing I agree yeah mind blowing and you, and I agree as well but I didn't realise this until <laughs> we had that chat but it's it's so true because for me personally, like I didn't start out in performance. I started out writing page poems off the back of my degree, off the back of starting out 
getting to know poetry through page poetry. Yes. Um, and I did feel like when I started to go out and perform my stuff, that I had to really work the performance because mm. they weren't written to be performed. Mm. So yeah, he's bang on the money there, absolutely. Yeah, it was just, I was, and it's nice. We've, I think we've had a few of those conversations on this show already where you've just gone, wow, that's, I'd have changed my opinion or my outlook on something to do with arts or, or something more, or a sort of more broader point. But yeah, really, really, really um, great perspective um, from someone who's been in the game for a long time. And, uh, you know. Is, yeah, you know what? It's it's strange because in the grand scheme of things, he's not that much older than us, is he? No, you know, he's yeah. like, what, 40, early mm -hmm. 40s, whatever. He's not that much older than us. But um, when he was talking, I kind of felt myself like, felt like I was a bit, a lot younger than him because like he's been performing since before I even moved to England you know when it was like night late 90s and stuff I was thinking wait I was like a kid I was I was like 10 11 9 9 years old so he's been he's a seasoned veteran in this game like yeah absolutely and so humble and nice and I, I don't know I don't want to get into all of this but yeah it's just a yeah someone who can really you can see has a genuine stake in allowing everybody to rise up together. Mm. Do you know what I mean? As a whole creative community and, and someone who's still enjoying going to Edinburgh after 25 years or whatever it was, that I think is impressive. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's something to aspire to, to just be able to create a body of work, a new body of work every year and always well received, always a good piece of work it's 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 so inspiring yeah like i'm blown away by our guests every week but this this guest was fantastic uh we are taking a break from natta for august so we won't be holding a natta at the end of august we'll be back at the end of september and that's because natta is joining people like by the meter we, what we uh, who we've mentioned at the beginning with a new magazine uh give poetry a chance all the way from liverpool and uh verbose as well manchester uh, and we're joining Mike at the Mill at a new poetry festival in Lee, at Spinner's Mill in Lee. It's going to be a fantastic day. And Nat has got a stage there. We've got a fantastic lineup. So that's on the 2nd of September. And for that reason, we're going to give ourselves a little break at the end of August. And we'll be back at the end of September with you. So keep your eyes on the Nat feed, on the Mike at the Mill feed, all the other organisations I've mentioned. And please come along if you're in the area because it's free. We've got Ilaria Passeri telling children's stories. We've got Lisa O'Hare, who's in Edinburgh right now, who was with us two weeks ago. Um, she's going to be performing a show there for us as well. We've got Alicia, who's been who's down at Camden Fridge right now with her show. She's going to be performing hers. There's, there's lots going on. Uh, there's a maker's market. There's going to be food. There's going to be all sorts of things. So if you are in the Manchester, Bolton, Lee area on the 2nd of September, come along. It's free. It sounds absolutely amazing. And you've got an exciting... Yeah, I wrote notes for this one. <laughs> uh, you've got an exciting Switchblade coming up as well. Why don't you tell people how they can get involved? Yeah, absolutely. So Sunday, uh, this Sunday, the 20th of August. Oh my God, it's 20th of August already. Is uh, Switchblade Sunday. Uh, we've got uh, a special uh, open mic format where everybody who takes the mic will be competing for a headline spots for our September birthday event uh, where we celebrate Switchblade turning four years old. So it's an exciting one. Um, please come on down on Sunday uh, and, and get involved. Give the uh, open micers your uh, support so they can uh, really perform perform their best work. We're, we're super excited about it. And that is it from us for now. So thanks, as always, for tuning in. Right, well, I think that's it from us then. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed our chat with Luke Wright and we will catch you next week.